0: Okay, so today's question on your handout is this, the specific doubt we're dealing with is something that, believe it or not, does plague Christians sometimes, and it's right here to the left. So this one, the the one today is about, does this mean, thank you very much, does this mean Christianity doesn't work if you have friends that seem to be succeeding? And it's especially difficult if you have friends that seem more moral than you, richer than you, and more blessed than you, or even enemies, okay? So some non-Christians seem kind, wonderful, and happy, does this mean Christianity doesn't work? Okay, does this mean Christianity doesn't work? Now, believe it or not, this does strike doubt into people's hearts that are believers. Um, i give you an example of how this happens sometimes. Uh, maybe you're at work, and you find out somebody gives far more to a charity than you do. Their family life seems to be more peaceful than yours is. Wait a second, I'm the believer. What's going on here? Um, so for some people, this can cause mental doubt for believers that they seem to be doing better why is that? And so that's what we're going to talk about today and uh, deal with this, this fourth doubt point. And I want intru- to – there's going to be two words. I'm going to introduce you, counterfactual and non sequitur today. He's like, oh, gosh, he's going Latin. This is why you draw the kooks. No. Um, non sequitur, it just means that one idea doesn't follow naturally from another. Okay. And the very first way to engage somebody who's struggling with a doubt like this is to say that idea doesn't really follow, that just because someone happens to be doing, in your estimation, better by some metric doesn't mean that Christianity is effete or weak or maybe you're not a Christian or maybe Christianity doesn't work. So one that… To say it's a non sequitur to say one idea doesn't actually lead to the other. Even if you encounter somebody you feel like is more wonderful than you are, and they're not living for Jesus, or even recognizing God as God, believe it or not, the Bible has categories for that sort of thing. We're going to talk about that here in a second. If you have a Bible with you on your phone, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you to look some stuff up here in a second. You also need to define terms. What do you mean by the verb work? There's a lot of, of things in that verb about working. What do you mean by Christianity working? Does Christianity working mean that it only has to produce positive things in your life all the time? Are you limiting God to saying that, okay, if it's working, that means I have no issues at all? Um, that can't be a biblical way of approaching how Christianity is working in someone's life. Um, let me give you some examples, though, here. Um, let's look up Psalm 37:7. Would somebody mind reading that out loud? Uh, oh God, this is where we do the auctioneer thing again. Anybody mind reading that out loud? I mean, I can look them up, but I, I put them up here so you'd look them up. We don't have to do all of them. Um, uh, okay you got good psalm 37 7 how about psalm 73 3 anybody uh, right here kelly look this is auctioneer time uh let's skip the job one for now do daniel eleven thirty-six? daniel eleven thirty-six. going once going twice right here uh Jer- jeremiah 12 1 jeremiah 12 1 anybody got jeremiah 12 1 anyone anyone right here thanks Appreciate it, Kim. And then Malachi 3.15. Malachi 3.15. Malachi 3.15. Thank you, Mary. Appreciate it. Let's start. So believe it or not, the Bible predicts that Christians will go through a time where you'll see even people you call wicked, God bless you, prospering. Um, so uh, let's listen to the word in Psalm 37. Uh, seven Mike's coming. Mike's on its way. Hang on. Thanks, Heath. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. So this is talking specifically about the the the, the mental difficulty of watching people that are enemies of God succeed. Very, very difficult. Um, uh, let's How about 73.3 real quick? Go ahead, Kelly. For I was envious of the boastful, I saw the peace of the wicked. I was envious of the boastful and saw, from their perspective, the psalmist's perspective, the peace of the wicked. Um, let's look at Daniel eleven thirty six. Thank you so much. Wait for the mic. Thank you. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed, for what has been determined must take place very very interesting this king over that's over daniel will defy god and will still have a time a measure of success for a time a measure of success for a time uh kim you're you doing jeremiah 12 12 1 great thank you you are always righteous lord when i bring a case before you yet i would speak with you about your justice mm-hmm. why does the way of the wicked prosper why do all the faithless live at ease Notice Jeremiah, the prophet, right, the the, the the prophet of sorrow, talking about how it looks like the godless and the faithless are having an easy time. They're on easy street. Why am I struggling and suffering? Oh, go ahead, Mary. So now we consider the arrogant to be fortunate, not only to those who commit wickedness, prosper, they even test God and escape. They test God and escape. We see the arrogant being prosperous and the boastful being blessed. Ooh, man. So the Bible makes provision because it is a divine communication from God. The Bible makes provision for this sort of perspective from those that love God and the righteous. Um, So uh, the next point down after we see that the Bible actually makes provision for this sort of perspective, sometimes God uses what? Secular, secular success and evil to flourish for a time to punish and teach the wayward. Not always, not always. But sometimes God does this for those that are kind of, Leaving the path, getting attracted by that sort of thing. So, it, so he shows that, okay, one, this is something that, uh, that you need to learn right now. How, in other words, think of it this way. How else are you supposed to learn humility? You have you ever thought about that? How else are you supposed to challenge your pride? Is it only Christians that can teach you to challenge? But no, God even uses gracefully uses non-Christians in their, in their time periods of, of success to teach us humility and to teach us patience. And that's going to lead into uh, lead into our next point. But um, let me uh, go ahead and just ask if anybody. There's two. Do we have time? It's 10:07. Probably one of the most difficult passages in the enti- in, in the Gospels. Uh, there's uh, actually been three or four different books by academics on called hard sayings of Jesus or difficult parts of the Bible. Um, but let's just do um, Amos 9:9. Amos 9:9. Uh, would somebody mind reading Amos 9:9? Ah, okay, Larry. And then. Uh, and then I'll I'll have Chris Chris. Would you mind doing the Luke twenty two passage? I want you to read. If you don't, is that cool? Um, okay. So Amos nine nine uh, right here to Larry. Yeah. So uh, go ahead, buddy. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations, as one shakes with a sieve, but no pebble shall fall to the earth. Difficult, difficult. God does use success of people unrighteous to teach us. I'm just the, don't get don't shoot the messenger here. Again, probably one of the more unsettling passages in all the gospels, out of the mouth of Jesus. Go ahead, Chris. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. This is where Jesus is saying you will be tested by who? Remember at 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 Jesus's trial, and he's out in the courtyard by godless non-believers in Jesus Christ. And this is to improve Peter so that he can strengthen others. It reminds me of uh, 2 Corinthians 1 where it says, the God of all comfort gives you comfort not to keep to yourself for you to experience it. And then what? So that you can comfort others. You're to give it away. So again, don't shoot the messenger. We didn't do all the scriptures here, but sometimes God uses a success of people that are godless and enemies of the faith to teach us, to teach us things. Um, And ultimately for others. Uh, any question or comment about this? I'm almost afraid to even ask. God, it. All right, uh, Ethan. Big run to Mr. Bill. Uh, yeah, we'll get to the next one. Common grace is the next one. And if we could, if you guys, if you, we're gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have you uh, read these passages out loud as well for the for the audio we're recording uh, today. So if you're willing to look a passage up and read it out loud, l- they're right up here. Let me know. And we'll do it again here in a second. Bill, go ahead, buddy. I, I think the classic illustration of this is Jesus in Luke 13 where his disciples pointed out those that who sac- uh, uh, Caesar had mixed their blood with their sacrifice. Yeah. And then uh, also he said that those upon whom the tower of Sodom fell, uh, he said, you suppose those were any more wicked? In other words, drawing moral conclusions from what you observe. Uh, it it uh, is the classic problem of thinking that the problem is out there mm-hmm. and I have the solution. Whereas the problem is in here, Mm -hmm. in me, Mm -hmm. and the solution has to come from outside of me. In other Mm -hmm. words, God has to change me, Mm -hmm. not that the problem is out there in the world. Or the classic, I'm paraphrasing here, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, when Peter's like, what about John? And he's like, don't worry about him, or mind your own business. <laughs> I'm going to struggle, but what about him? He's like, it's not your business. Uh, so, like I said, very f- frustrating resurrected Jesus there, but our Lord, I- either way. Um, somebody have Psalm 145, 8 through 9? Great point, Bill, by the way. Oh, you got, would you mind reading that? In just one second, so hold that, you'll be the first one. And then Isaiah 26, 10. Anybody? Well, I'll go ahead and get that in advance so you don't know where to go. Anybody mind reading Isaiah out loud? <laughs> All right. uh, Matthew 5, 44 and 45. Anybody? going once. Going twice, I should have brought mine up here and had. It. Thank you, Kelly. Look, you just just to get me to yeah, not to feel. Uh, Luke six thirty five and thirty six, right here. Herb, thank you. Acts fourteen sixteen through seventeen. Acts fourteen sixteen through seventeen. Anyone? Anyone? Anyone at all? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Stephanie. And then uh, uh, Romans two four and five. Last one. Last one. All right. Perfect. Go ahead, um, Robert. Go ahead, buddy. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Notice common grace. We've talked about this before. Something that's helped mature Christians, mature Christians need to understand, is that God does lavish grace on all in some ways. He does. Um, one of the hard parts about witnessing is sometimes people are experiencing too much common grace, too much general revelation. But These are passages that talk about this this concept we don't hear preached a lot about is common grace or general revelation. Go ahead with uh, Isaiah 26.10. Though grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in a land of uprightness, they go on doing evil and regard not the majesty of the Lord. So you see God's given them majesty. He's putting gracious blessings in front of them and for some it still doesn't it still doesn't move them. Jesus' words in Matthew 5:44 in the Sermon on the Mount 5:44 and 45. Go ahead, Kelly. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The sun and the rain in an agrarian society meant God provides. It's not like the sun and the rain and the wind all stop for the unrighteous. He provides even for the righteous and what is called the unrighteous. So Luke six thirty-five and 36. Go ahead, Herb. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Ouch. <laughs> <clears throat> then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. He's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. So you see, again, this concept keeps cropping up. Stephanie, go ahead uh, over and over again. This is uh, in in Acts 14. Go ahead. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Mm. Amen. And then last, uh, Paul. Uh, Romans 2, 4 through 5. Romans 2, 4 through 5. Oh, right over here. Sorry. Yeah. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. This is that classic passage, beginning of Romans, where Paul does that great eleven chapter, ten chapter run about God's interaction with human beings through time and history, including His chosen people. Point is this: there will be, for sure, you can count on it. There will absolutely be this many successes and advances for the, in the lives of those who reject God. You can get, you can count on it. Okay. Um, it's not fun, but it's something I think we have to remember, and it's, it certainly is scriptural. Um, <clears throat> another thing to remember, too, is what's called a counterfactual. A counterfactual is a fancy $10 word used by philosophers that just means this, a possible hypothetical that didn't actually take place. But imagine a scenario where it did go that way, where every time you said yes to Jesus, all you had were blessings. Now, do you think that would elicit true love relationships with the people of God? Imagine a scenario where you say yes to anyone, and all of a sudden that means all your problems go away. Would you have people coming to God for the right reasons? Would, you have them, would it create a scenario where – so it, it looks like even theologically and logically that it, it, it certainly is the case that God just doesn't flood blessings to those that choose him. And then anybody that doesn't choose him, he stops letting things grow. He stops uh, 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 you know, everything good in their life, everything. Would people really come to him for the right reasons? I think you know the answer to that question. Same thing if you put it into a love relationship between a male and a female. If the female is trying to understand how to love this person for who they are, and then she finds out what? That this person will make every problem go away or even potentially could. Remember, it's the old problem of evil issue with Bill Gates dating. (laughs) Can he really date and expect somebody to really be with him for him? I mean, everybody knows what his net worth is and what that means for somebody with him. So, uh, so I wanted you to consider that counterfactual. The idea is that God distributes blessings with both hands. And believe it or not, this is, uh, this is <clears throat> just, anyway, it happens sometimes. Sometimes godless people look at biblical wisdom. They don't even know they're using it. I'll give you an example. I know people that are as ignorant about God as ever, but they're really, really rich. And they employ biblical principles without even knowing it, like delay of gratification, savings more than you're, saving more than you're spending, uh, self-control and self-discipline. These are biblical principles that people enact and do these sort of things without giving honor and great, uh, glory to God. Now, there will be a comeuppance for ignoring your maker. Certainly in the afterlife there will be, and sometimes in this world there is too. I, you could say the same thing about people that employ biblical concepts without giving acknowledgement to God. You can look in their sometimes in their personal lives, and there's been a significant cost because they don't have God telling them what else to do with those finances or how those finances are supposed to be seen in the overall scheme of things. So, um, so I wanted to just let you know um, there are those that don't call it reaping and sowing but understand it. There are those that delay their gratification and don't really understand where it comes from and why it works. These are kind of like just things built into reality that work to help someone get ahead. This is why even pagans, uh, Greeks could have all sorts of advancements. Egyptians could have advancements in knowledge and in invention without them giving explicit uh, credit to God. Last little bit on common grace. There's three ways common grace um, is for us, believe it or not. It does benefit the redeemed. It multiplies the blessings to us. There's more goodness and grace across the earth. I'm glad sometimes when I hear an excellent piano concerto, even if the person doesn't acknowledge God. I I wish they would acknowledge God, but I get to enjoy that blessing even with them ignoring God. Um, You know, early on, it didn't look like Mozart was a strong believer, certainly not like Bach, and we get to enjoy Mozart, his early stuff, uh, and even some of his late stuff, even though he's not a believer, so that blessing comes to us, right? And it keeps also, it's another way that Christ is exerting control right now. It keeps us from being as evil as we could be. Um, you think about just how evil human beings can get. Um, the common grace keeps us from being as evil. This is why people understand empathy. They don't know how they understand it, but they understand empathy. This is why the moral argument appeals to people. They understand there's something going on. And when I hit people with this sort of thing in evangelism, I say, well, if if, if – there's no God, and we're just matter bumping into each other, right? And we're just a, a collection of atoms going around. Well, that's purposelessness. We don't have a, a will. Then morality and value is gone too. And they always tell me the same thing. They don't give an argument back. They just go, oh, come on. You know better than that. All right, no, I'm I'm trying to make you be consistent here. If there's no soul and there's no God and there's no value and there's no decision-making, morality dissolves into a puff of imaginary smoke. Ah, uh, not really. No, really. No, 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 yeah. We just know better. Well, how do you just know better? How do you just know better? How is it that somebody that doesn't encounter a missionary knows I know how I'd like to be treated and I should probably do that to others? That seems to be part of general revelation, empathy. Um and then last but certainly not least, it authenticates our love and devotion to God. Like I said, this is kind of relating to that counterfactual point. If you love God, though you haven't gotten the enormous amount of blessings you see your enemies get, <laughs> that does certainly show that you are committed to loving God for who he is. It certainly does. Um, and it's it's just like hard times reveal the character of your spouse or a good friend. Uh, it happens as well. Last, number three, uh, as we finish out here. But Christianity does work. <laughs> it does work. Uh, again, depending on how you're using the word work with all the necessary qualifiers. Actually, we got one more, a biblical qualifier. But let me read uh, this to you, and I'm, I'm going to try to be quick because we've done a full segment on this. In fact, it was one of our most... Most highly attended summer sessions was on depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, addiction, and the, and the word of God. Um, but just that first point should at least help you here. Millions of people testify to the massive change catalyst that is devotion to God through Christ from engagement in the word. There are literally the, – if you take the, what they call the democracy of the dead, there are millions of people that have said, I have had a unique, special life change that can't be attributed to any natural means through devotion to God and finding Christ and his, his, uh, his supernatural uh, gift to me through the word of God. Um, just so you know, secular psychology is the other discipline of, that we would call a general revelation discipline started by Christians but then hijacked by Sigmund Freud. That is slowly but surely turning around on this one. Um, I, I don't know if you know for the years that it was dominated by Sigmund Freud who hated Christians and hated Christianity. Um, uh, now w- he, he for, for years said, well, Christianity is really bad for culture and society. Why? Because it represses you, especially sexually. So um, we're now seeing a, a near total reversal of Freud's position. Uh, When it comes in the world of psychology Let me give you Professor Andrew Sims here first Uh, This guy was a former president of the Royal College of Psychiatry in England Listen to this quote The advantageous effects of religious belief And he means specifically Christianity here And spirituality on the mental and physical health Is one of the best kept secrets in psychiatry and medicine generally If the findings of this huge volume of research on this topic Had gone in the opposite direction And it had been found out that religion damages your mental health It would have been front page news in every newspaper in the land So uh, something to remember here is that there is an enormous amount of research over the last 30, 40, 50 years that says this improves almost every area of your life when your commitment's authentic. In fact, it's another reason I believe the Bible is something divine from God and we're not following an imaginary being. It's one of the only ideas that you can't fake it and get the benefits. You may get some benefits for a short amount of time, but you can't fake your commitment. Uh, very, very interesting. In other words, the only ways these things happen is if there's a real strong commitment on your part, and we'll talk about that in a second. We've talked about depression for dummies uh, before in here. Uh, probably one of the most – I actually had a, a student bring depression for dummies to me um, and uh, say, you're not going to believe the end of this book. So it's summarizing 300-plus research analyses for depression. Uh, in the book, and it says at the end in the conclusion, uh, Smith and Elliot are the two doctors that uh, edited the, the volume. At the end of it, it says, contrary to what we might think, physical attractiveness, an, an enormous amount of command of resources and wealth, and, uh, and power, influence over others is, are not the three catalysts for the most satisfying types of happiness out there. <laughs> Isn't that weird? And the reason Smith and Elliot are saying that is I'm not sure they're believers. That's what our culture sends. That's the message the culture sends to us, right? They said uh, th- if you want deep, lasting satisfaction, you got to go after what they call the big four, and that is supported by all the research in their, in their book on how to avoid depression. Listen to this. Living in a constant state of gratitude, they say of the four, that is the most important. It is literally you cannot be happy e- even very long in a short term. Like my team won. If you, uh, if you don't have a sense of gratitude, thankfulness Where you force yourself to look at things and grat- Gratitude blocks toxic emotions like envy Jealousy and entitlement Unselfishly helping and caring for others Unselfishly helping and caring for others That sounds like the opposite uh, Of what I should do Learning to give and receive forgiveness Learning to give and receive forgiveness You know we're not because of our sin nature we're not prone to forgiving um, Very 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 strong uh, Against that strong double and triple down Of Jesus in the, uh, in the Lord's prayer In the middle of, of, uh, of Matthew 6 And then last Is uh, living for something Bigger and greater than your own personal desires This will certainly preach to a generation That's all about me 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 I I I um, Even humans that are all about That sort of thing and, uh, and where the idol of the age ex- Is expressive individualism Interesting So remember, gratitude, learning to give and receive uh, forgiveness, uh, caring for those less fortunate and those that are less powerful than you, and last but not least, finding some cause that's bigger than your own personal desires and personal dreams. Notice these four things are not only the gospel. Those are gospel approaches to deep, lasting, satisfying happiness. They're also things that you wouldn't expect if atheism were true you 'd expect the exact opposite, right that taking from other people and getting what you want for the short term will be the most important thing, um, but if atheism were true and we 're just we just evolved we 're just evolved slime, these four don 't make any sense at all, none, even though the research keeps uh, showing this to be uh, indeed the case all right, um, last but not ne- not least, um, I wanted to no- let you know this as we as we close down here. Um, Two things, Christianity fails to work as effectively if you're approaching it without reference or concern to God, so Christianity, if you've really forgotten God and said a prayer and just acknowledged God and said, yeah, I kind of believe in Jesus, Christianity, some of the benefits that these people are talking about don't come in as effectively as they would if you acknowledged, uh, acknowledged God, and Christianity fails to work at all if you're pretending to believe it. One of the most interesting parts of all this data is it doesn't work regardless of your personal position on it. As a matter of fact, secular psychological world has two categories for Christians now. They have intrinsic Christians and extrinsic Christians, intrinsic inside, extrinsic outside of. An intrinsic Christian is internally motivated to try to apply these ideas through the week. They don't just keep it in the four doors of the church, or I guess with a dome, What you, in the circle of the church. Um, we got a dome. Sorry if you're new here. But, um, and then extrinsic, right? So an intrinsic Christian is internally motivated to try to live what they say. An extrinsic Christian um, is someone who just wants to go there for the social benefit. Um, interestingly, almost none of these benefits, uh, mental or physical, come to someone who's basically pretending. In other words, they have to convince many, many others who are actually authentically living it to continue to give to them because they're not getting any of the others. So um, very, very interesting that the psychological world has true a Christian that's actually living the life and those that aren't living the life and just want the social benefits of going to church. So um, fails to work it off if that sort of thing happens. Um, Last couple of qualifiers as we finish up here. You know that God disciplines those he loves. We, again, don't want to hear that in preaching. But if God loves you, He will not lift discipline or hardship from you. Every biblical character, almost without question, uh, I mean, there's a couple exceptions because we don't hear much about them, like Melchizedek, things like that, but almost every biblical character in the Bible that wanted to do something great, including our Lord and Savior, God among us, Emmanuel, went through pain, trial, risk, and hardship for something greater, almost to a person. Um, We're guaranteed, Jesus says, very, very honestly, persecution, struggle, risk, hardship, and pain. It doesn't mean we call it to us, but it shouldn't surprise Peter says in his, in his letter to his churches says we shouldn't be surprised by fiery trials not just regular trials fiery trials they should not surprise us doesn't mean we want them but they shouldn't surprise us um, instead of looking around and seeing what everybody's blessing and last authentic change is usually slow sometimes excruciatingly slow again the Bible gives indirect indications of this sort of thing as well um, last to remember too is heaven's an immeasurable good uh, if you really believe there's a heaven where there's a reunification with your loved ones and the one who gave you the idea of love and gave you the ability to love at all, Jesus, then this should qualify all your hardship. It certainly should. It doesn't mean you should enjoy your hardship, but remember what Mother Teresa said, and she had massive struggles with doubt through her life, massive. Um, but Mother Teresa said, well, if, if eternity is even half as good as the Bible presents it, then this time on earth, even with these people, these untouchables I'm ministering to in Calcutta, that will seem like an inconvenient night in a hotel room, comparatively. So we all this is why one of the reasons uh, Pastor Betzer thinks Ravenhill told him to preach the eternities, right? If it's not eternal, it's eternally out of date. Um, uh, this is why some of the greatest theologians have said that needs to impress upon your mind. It, look, there's even secular research that says you thinking about death, your birth, and your, how you were born, what happened before you were born, and what will happen after you're dead is important. That sounds depressing, but it's only depressing if there's no heaven and there's no God. That's why we don't grieve as the rest of the pagans do, as Paul says in Thessalonians. So understanding and remembering that heaven, and don't worry about it, If I'm so heavenly-minded, it won't be any earthly good. That never happens in practice. In fact, the people that are the most convinced of eternity are doing the most earthly good. Salvation Army. Outreach to the poor. There's, it's, it's just a false dichotomy. Obviously, you don't want somebody just literally just thinking about heaven. They never do anything as an excuse. But those who take heaven, Jesus' words, and God most seriously do the most good work, practical good work in our world. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so what we have to do is qualify kind, wonderful, and happy. We're only seeing a limited perspective on somebody's life at the time, a coworker that has these sort of things. We're only seeing a snapshot of their life at the time um, and we, we, they degrade in quality, those sort of things, when God is ignored or God is defied. So though God's common grace extends even to the ungrateful, the unmerciful, the unrighteous, they don't continue at a level they will for the believer. And they've also largely unplugged God being able to use hardship, which comes to all of us in their life as well. Um, Last one, uh, happiness needs to be renegotiated as well. Our, our uh, contemporary version of happiness is not the, the ancient version. The ancient version in Greek used to be called eudaimonia, and it meant a whole life discipline that would include your happiness, including short or at least miniature or limited times of hardship and suffering. Our contemporary version of happiness is this high that you get, like cotton candy, like a little bit of sweetness, or your team won the Super Bowl or something, you kind of, right? But as far as lasting lifelong happiness, it's more comprehensive. Eudaimonia was this idea that could include suffering and hardship and risk. Involved in the long-term life, life-generating happiness, so and, and life-affirming uh, happiness. So, um, with that, are there any questions about this particular doubt, or any comments anybody wants to make on the back end of this? These are ways, just talking points, uh, to keep you uh, to keep someone from running off with their doubts into into uh, disbelief. Go ahead, Bill. Go ahead. Absolutely. Yeah, the Jews are a case study, an example of. Uh, influence and and uh, success well, well beyond their numbers, even with those who are genetically Jews but have left orthodoxy far behind um, and don't don't even honor God, even, pre, you know, a pre-Jesus sort of approach to God. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, Melissa, go ahead real quick. <laughs> I, I'm not going to get into the precursor of Job. We can talk about that another time, but I will say this. This is something that is relevant to what we're talking about, and it's this. Um Job isn't, by any biblical scholar's account of any note, a Jew. Um, It's likely that Job was a non-Jew, and he is massively blessed, and God calls him, hey, right? So this is somebody who uh, was obviously worshiping the one true God in some way because God— pointed him out, but he wasn't a Jew, and he was still blessed, and this sort of thing. So it's connected to what we're talking about, even though he's not a non-believer, and he isn't necessarily unrighteous. But <clears throat> it is interesting that Satan approaches and says, "Well, that's the only reason he's sticking with you is there's blessing there." Uh, and then you get Jesus talking about sifting in that Luke passage as well. It's kind of very, very interesting. Um, but uh, but all that to say, there's a lot more going on when we see these sort of things, and we need to tell our tell ourselves first, and then others. That it isn't as simple as, well, why don't I go down that road? They're getting all the blessing, right? They're getting all the favor. They're getting all the, and, you know, well, it's never that simple, one. Uh, there's all sorts of other things about, take, for example, um, somebody like Donald Trump did experience a lot of material success when he was an absolute profligate, right? Right? We're talking pre-08, pre-finally landing on a wife and family, finally landing, right? <clears throat> but but there were certain things that he'll admit now that were biblical concepts he did just because they worked they're part of the fabric of reality uh as it were um but it's also interesting that there, even now we're not sure right where he's at on that sort of thing but there's an there's an acknowledgement that i i've even in the midst of me being really really immoral there were certain you know there were certain providential things that were happening um so interesting that uh that this is something where there's been a, a longer journey, and that's been a public figure, right? That we've, that we've looked at that's had that sort of thing happen where it was God was the last thing on his mind uh, for a lot of years, and there was what we call fiscal success. But what was along with it that we did see because he was also a celebrity? Massive relational d- just strewn everywhere. So, yeah, you got millions of dollars, but you can't keep any relationships intact friends, family, wives. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, w- we don't measure that as well that sort of blessing as well. I mean, how much money price would you put on having an intact marriage? Actually liking someone and staying with them. Um, what sort of price tag would you put on your children's respect? Or the respect of, you know, th- th- your congregation? You see what I'm saying? That I don't know if you could put a monetary price on that. Um, it's easier to see the money stuff, but his personal life was an absolute shambles. He's admitted that. So, even that, when we're seeing, look how, that's why I said we have to define work in a different way on the front end of this. Well, you know, if One, God spreads those blessings out, and two, work doesn't mean God automatically just makes everything blessing and everything else go away. That's not true of any Christian, and it's not true of any biblical character. But it's also true that what might look like working from our snapshot maybe is for a short amount of time, and there's maybe all sorts of massive wreckage that's more important than money that's going on as well. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's just hard. That's what I'm saying. It's hard to trust God. This is also why in the 150 Psalms, there's a third of them that are lament. Don't ever forget this. I, get, I, I, think about, I don't even think about Dick and Chelsea right now. There is a third of the Psalms that are lament Psalms, a third of them. That should keep you from going, well, it's just an automatic. I love God, blessings, right? A third of the, of the central prayer book in the Bible is upset with God, angry with God, but in a direction, Right, but in a direction. This isn't the end. This is the end of the world. Heaven's in the purview. God's blessings in the purview. Deliverance is the purview. This too shall pass. But it's not as simple as I did this. Now this. So one of the ways I know that I'm, I'm dealing with an immature Christian is they said I prayed for the for a whole week and I still haven't got next. <laughs> I'm dead serious. There are people that do that, or I tried that prayer thing once and it didn't automatically happen. So it's not. Okay, so if God didn't jump through right then at that the way you thought about it and the way you said it, then he's not real. So anyway, let's pray. Would you bow with me? Gracious God, we love you. Uh, We ask you to give us a heart for those that are struggling with specific things, Lord, and even general things. Uh, would you help us uh, find ways to ask clarifying questions and to deliver um, these biblical truths to people in a way that's not confusing, in a way that's not, uh, that doesn't make it overly difficult, but in a way that our lives actually show what we're talking about to be true. Remind us of these things and encourage our hearts that uh, you are indeed our Father and we are dependent upon you. We give you all thanks and all glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope to see you guys next week.